This is episode 51 with Winifred Riley, a licensed marriage and family therapist, author of the book, It Takes One to Tango. And today we're going to be talking about how you can create a loving and lasting relationship with almost no help from your spouse. How to deal with your differences effectively is the key. People will either get a divorce or keep longing to go back to that sameness, which you can't go back to because you now see that you're different and it's great to be different. It's just harder. How we behave when we encounter our differences is is the difference between a healthy relationship and a rough one. Hey moms, are you tired of being tired? Or maybe yelling at your kids? Or maybe you need to know how to get your strength back postpartum? Or learn to manage your stress trying to do it all? Or just to become a more confident mom? If so, then welcome to Citrus Love, keeping motherhood inspired. I'm Christiane Bégin, a mother of two, sharing inspiring conversations with wonderful people on how we can be mentally and physically stronger moms, and also including freshly squeezed ideas, a little bit of fun, so you can learn how to find balance, and also how to raise strong, caring, confident kids in today's world. So if you're ready, let's get started. Hi, Mama. Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love Podcast. So today we have an episode that's been requested by a few mothers for a couple months now, and I'm so happy to bring you this topic today, and that's all about your relationship with your spouse, whether you are married in a long-term partnership or however you choose to describe your relationship if you're in same-sex marriage, what we're going to be talking about today applies to you. How to have a lasting partnership, create that bond that gets better and stronger over time. If you're alive, you've noticed divorce is going up, especially during this pandemic. We're hearing more about conflicts between partners and the challenges that adds when anxiety is high tired of complaining and whining and having the same discussions over and over with your partner. And just overall in life, being in a long-term partnership is not always easy. Even if you don't have kids yet, it will help you think about a different way of seeing your relationship And if your spouse won't join you changing some things in the relationship, you can do it yourself. And it might sound so crazy, like we're in a relationship. How am I supposed to do this myself? And you'll understand after this conversation. And the great news is Winifred will tell you today that this is in your hands. If you're not satisfied, if you want to change something for the better in your relationship, there is usually a way and she's going to give us a non-conventional roadmap of how you can do it yourself, that getting unstuck is not necessarily a two-person job, that it's not always 50-50 in the marriage, like we are made to believe and how you need to start now. So Winifred is a psychotherapist specializing in marital therapy and relationship issues that has treated hundreds of couples. I mean, she's been doing this for 
40 years. Um, she has two kids. She's married to the same man for over 40 years and happily married after 40 years. So we can all learn a lesson or two from what she's going to be sharing today. She's located in California working in a private practice and helps treat different issues for couples around sexuality, intimacy, conflict, breast issues, commitment, affairs, and has featured in Huffington Post online and also has a blog about relationship advice on speaking of marriage. I'll include as a bonus, you go to the website www.citruslove.com slash episode 51 you'll get a free bonus so a list of 75 things you can do today to improve your relationship which Winifred Riley has put together I was curious I went to that list so get your free list today www.citruslove.com slash episode 51 Honestly, I can't wait for you to listen to this conversation. I had so many. This is insane. I've never heard this before. Moments, you'll learn how to take risks, how to be bold in your relationship, and that sometimes forward movement is better measured in inches if you know someone that might benefit from hearing this conversation or would enjoy uh, learning a few things, then please send them the link of this episode and make sure to tag me on Facebook, Instagram at Citrus Love Podcast. Let's get to it and listen to my conversation with Winifred Riley. Welcome, Winifred, to the Citrus Love Podcast. Thank you for taking the time to help women today with their relationship. <laughs> I know a lot have been oh, asking. My pleasure. <laughs> so I have to say, so I read your book, um, It Takes One to Tango, How I Rescued My Marriage with Almost No Help from My Spouse. And the title is what got me hooked. I was like, what? I need to know. I need to know because how often do we hear I would need to go to couples therapy with my spouse. Often it's with the man that doesn't want to go or doesn't, or is like, we're fine. What are you talking about? We don't need couples therapy or there's that stigma of I'm not crazy. So why would I need to go see someone to help my relationship? I'm so happy you're here so we can talk about it and your take on it, which is different than very different, very different than what I've been reading and hearing about. First of all, I want to clarify something that you mentioned. How can the woman listening know if her situation, her relationship is worth saving? Because in the book, you said a lot are worth saving, but are there just some of them that might not apply to what we'll talk about today? Well, look, I like to say that any two people can work out anything. We have to, of course, pay attention in relationships where there's domestic violence, we're talking about a different set of situations, mm-hmm. uh, but for the general, and, and there are a lot of people in that situation, so I don't want to uh, minimize that. If you're a listener in an ordinary, frustrating, irritating, complicated marriage, <laughs> you're perfectly normal. So what I'm talking about is for people, not just who want a little bit of improvement in a happy marriage, but you could be feeling really hopeless. You could be feeling like you're really stuck and you can't move 
and you haven't moved in a long time. And what I want to say is it's not hopeless. You haven't tried everything. None of us will have ever tried everything. So I'm going to invite you to imagine that you have more power than you think. We don't have magic powers, but we do have the ability to change the way we operate. And it has a surprising impact on the way the whole relationship system operates. Relationships are a system. There's you, there's your spouse, and there's a whole set of unwritten rules that you have all, that you have ratified without realizing it. And so what I want to talk to you about today is let, let's look at ways you can change the rules, ways you can challenge yourself. Yeah, I'll stop there for that for now. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into all of that. So you have 38 years experience working with couples in therapy. And you say that if your relationship is in trouble, don't wait and don't give up. And we're hearing so much more about people getting divorced, separated. Most of us know someone in our circle. It, I feel like it's getting normalized in a way. Oh, another one's getting divorced, like normal. Do you think that a lot of couples are calling it quits much too quickly or they're waiting and waiting and hoping that things will change in, until it just explodes and it's just too, too late? Well, you know, I actually think it's both. Mm. I think that that um, some people wait. I'm amazed at how long and miserable people can be before they come into therapy. I so often say, "Oh, I really wish I I wish you came in here ten years ago wow. because you have been torturing yourselves and stuck and miserable." And it doesn't mean it's too late. I never think it's too late. But people get stuck in deep, deep patterns, like the wheel just spins in the mud. <laughs> and it goes deeper and deeper in the cars, up, up to the doors in mud. So, so there's that, that people wait really too long and finally they just can't take it. Mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, they bail before they've really considered all their options. You know, most people that I see most people really don't want to get a divorce. It's painful. It's sad. Mm -hmm. It's disruptive. It requires lots of changes and adaptation and children changing houses. And, and sometimes some people actually do end up, it, it is actually better. But the majority of people, I think, get divorced because they don't know what to do. Mm. And so when you don't know what to do, you really don't, you don't really know that there's anything to yeah. do. And, you know, I'm, I imagine your listeners are from all over. It might not be that easy to find a really good, well-trained couples therapist. So some people have actually tried therapy and it's been useless or worse. Uh, and in the field, we know about that because somebody who doesn't know what they're doing, mm -hmm. meaning well, perhaps, but doesn't know what they're doing will we'll say to people, well, you know, you fight so much, maybe you ought to think about getting a divorce, as opposed to you fight so much, maybe you really ought to think about how to calm yourselves down and relate from a more adult place and see what's going on here. It's, you, know. you know what, when I read that in your book, I was so surprised because I know someone that said they were getting separated. And one of the things that was we did go to therapy. We've been going for a couple of years. It didn't work. So, I mean, 
if yes. that didn't work, then obviously, but it's, it's, it's a little bit scary thinking that some therapists are, will not help you. So how do you choose? I know it, it's, you know, I hate, I hate saying <laughs> this to people, except that it's true. Uh, there's a, there's a, a, a re- marital research, a big marital researcher that many people may have heard of John Gottman. Yes. Uh, he did this enormous. Yeah. So John at a conference said, you know, one of the worst things you could do for your marriage is going to therapy. <laughs> and, and so, because, and, and he was, he was joking and not joking mm-hmm. uh, because uh, often a therapist will uh, take sides or amplify your arguments or more. The thing I worry about the most is people feeling like it didn't help. And so that's actually part of why I wrote my book. It's a mm-hmm. bit of a self-help. It's kind of a memoir. It talks about my own relationship journey. And I'm married now. I think it's probably about 42 years. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. probably have our, yeah, it's our 42nd anniversary coming up. Wow. And um, Happily married, happily married. <laughs> That's the key point, thing. Okay, okay. But <laughs> at this point, I'm extremely happily married. But I couldn't, I could not have said that earlier. You know, just to, just to finish up about, you know, that, that people feel like they've tried everything. And, and really, uh, I wrote the book because there are a lot of people who were not going to be able to get couples therapy. And I felt that I was in a unique, in a unique position because I love my husband and, and we were like uh, firecrackers together. Uh, we were just like firecrackers and matches. And, you know, as I, as, I, as I have said in talks and written, which is like, yeah, my marriage was uh, absolutely wonderful, except when it wasn't. <laughs> and so, and when it wasn't, I wanted to tear my hair out. Mm-hmm. And so, it, because we had these frustrating circular arguments that I think everybody listening will say, oh yeah, we have the, oh, because the same thing and we go around and nothing changes. Yeah, that's because we, it's like a cake. I put this, a cup of this, and he puts a cup of that, and we put a spoon of this, mm-hmm. and we put all that, and it always comes out to be the exact same cake. And we didn't like that cake, but we kept doing it over and over. And so I began to train. I was a, just a general psychotherapist, and I began to train to work with couples. And then not very long into my training, I realized the missing pieces of what my husband and I needed to do, at which essentially it boils down in a simple way. We both needed to act more like grown-ups. We needed to manage our reactions to each other, be more responsible about our experience, and really focus on what we each needed to change. So mm-hmm. that said, I thought I would write this book because I could talk about kind of being in the trenches with clients and as a couple. Mm-hmm you worked on both sides personally and professionally. So you saw different examples of couples that were stuck. You, you've said in your book that many of the couples you've seen have been as surprised by their misconceptions about marriage as you were about yours. Can you talk about what are some of these misconceptions? The beliefs that we carry when we get married don't really change. Like, uh, if we love each other, things should work out pretty well. Mm -hmm. Or uh, marriage shouldn't be this hard. If we were properly matched, we wouldn't be this hard. Another one is, it's not this hard for other people. Everybody else looks like they're doing a much better job than we are. 
oh yeah, one of mine was because we loved each other, we would be able to figure out pretty much everything and be a really nice collaborative working team. <laughs> that was another one. That, and that all, I, I think it all kind of boiled down to some kind of love song where, you know, it, love would be the answer to everything. Uh-huh. One that stayed with me is said that it's not necessarily 50-50 in There a marriage. And that's so unlike what we hear. It's always like 50-50. We each do our part. And with men have to do 50, women 50. It's like uh, equality and all piled in. What's your take on this? Well, it's not 50-50. And when it's not 50-50, people think something's wrong. And so here's what happens with the 50-50 problem, which is... I see that something needs to be done and you're not doing your part, according to me. So therefore I will do less. And then what will happen is the thing won't get done. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be mad at you because the thing didn't get done and I won't have the thing done and I'll be mad and (laughs) I'll think that I have no power. Now, the problem that people hear with that is, well, why should I do more than my share? Mm -hmm. And it's, if you break out of the, it needs to be fair model, it can, it can get reduced down to like, well, why should I cook and do the dishes and put them all away? And so, but if we're looking at larger issues, like let's say talking about difficulties, uh, there needs to be somebody who keeps the relationship on course. And it's often the woman And in same-sex couples, there's always one person who is the guardian of the relationship, who's the one who's saying, we need to talk about this, Mm -hmm. or I think there's a problem, or I think we need to make such and such improvement. And if we don't do that, if we wait for the other person to do that, we're setting a ceiling that's too low over the relationship. And so the 50-50 thing, I, I like to have people switch it to the idea that if I'm capable of raising a subject or if I'm capable of wanting, of trying to change a rule, a rule being, well, we could go back to some kind of chore, simple chore thing. I've always done the laundry and now I would like, uh, I'd like some help with it. Now we have three kids and the laundry is exploding. And then you, you take the lead on that. And then you, let's say your spouse is like, well, I don't, I don't like laundry. <laughs> And so, so where I say, don't wait for 50, 50, then you get, that's like the beginning of a conversation, you know, which is, yeah, I don't like laundry either. How do you suppose we're going to work this out? Well, I'm just not going to do any of, yeah, I know that's not really going to work out. And we're not going to be particularly happy if, if you don't do this. So we might need to actually explore different, a, a different way to do it. You know, so what I'm modeling is a sense of, When, when you feel like you, you, you're at one of these 90-10s, don't give up. Uh, it, instead of talking about the laundry, you need to talk about, we have a problem that I'm overwhelmed and you're uh, bailing out. So how do you want to deal with that? So figuring out options in that case. That works and for figuring, both. Yeah, but also figuring out how to talk about the problem. Mm. The problem being, I'm overwhelmed and you're, you don't actually see a need to help me. That is the problem, not the laundry. You could argue the laundry and you should do this and you can make a mm-hmm. chore chart. You could do all that stuff. But the question is, so you see that I'm unhappy and overwhelmed and I'm curious what you tell yourself 
when you don't help me and then you're surprised that I'm angry and exhausted. So, so mm -hmm. what I'm really saying is some of the going further has to do with not giving up. People say, what am I going to do? I asked my spouse to go to therapy and he won't go. And so what am I going to do? Well, you go to therapy by yourself and talk about the relationship. You, I have people who've seen me and continue to invite their spouse. Therapist said this, you know, this week you want to join in, you could join in. Or they come home and say, you know, one of the things I've been working on in therapy is that I've, I've noticed that when you're grumpy, I'm grumpy and I'm going to work on that. Or I notice that um, when you disappoint me and you don't do something that I was hoping for you to do, mm -hmm. uh, I withdraw. I don't think that's a good thing. I'm going to work on that. And what happens in a kind of sneaky way and what happens, it, what happens theoretically and what happened in my own marriage as I started to focus on what I needed to work on over secretly over on the side, my mm -hmm. husband was actually working on himself because I wasn't busy pointing out what he needed to do. Mm -hmm. So rather than waiting for 50, 50, I was going for a hundred percent of my work on being a better spouse. And it actually in, in retrospect, when we talked about it, he said he had so much respect for me doing the work on myself that he felt like he would really, uh, you know, be pretty lame if he just sat around <laughs> and continued to like be such a pain in the butt. Because you had issues in your marriage in the the early years of being married. Yeah. Well, we argued, yeah. and yeah. that was the big thing. We argued because because we didn't know how to deal with our differences, which is mm -hmm. what most people argue. I think this, you should think the same thing. No, I think that you should think what I think. Well, I don't think what you think. Well, you should think this, right? And, yeah. and like, well, that's not fair. And you're and blah, blah, blah. And, and so those are what arguments are about. Yeah. Like, Hoping that you'll think the same. You're like one. Now you're married. You're one. So you should. That's, right. There's, that's another one of the beliefs. <laughs> to become one. It's like, no, two, stay two. And then sometimes they join up in a lovely way. But most of the time, I'm me and you're you. Mm -hmm. I want to read something from your book, which okay. I thought was so powerful. So you say, to see that you're locked into your frustrations, repetitive behaviors, because the dilemmas you're trying to resolve with your partner are really the ones you need to resolve with yourself. Until we are secure enough in ourselves to step out to withstand some heat, we will be quick to react and far too easily hurt. Focus on our survival when we need to be focused on our growth. I love this. Talk about this. Yes. So here's my example from my what I learned. Uh, my husband and I are both pretty stubborn. Uh, the good news that I will say, if you fast forward, many of you are probably in the earlier years of your marriage, is if you fast forward and the do, you do good work in your marriage, you'll get to be at the 40-year mark or so, and we hardly ever argue, not because we don't encounter our differences, but we've learned actually how to stay calm and to not have to rush to a consensus and to listen to each other better and to be able to let go of more things or to hang on to the things that are really important and, and take a stand for them. So if I go back to your quote from mm -hmm. the book, 
we would have these repetitive arguments. And so when I decided I was going to test out the theory of working on yourself instead of uh, trying to fix your partner up, which everybody's tried and has failed at. And so, um, <laughs> which is the first thing we try. We try. Yeah, that's, there's another, another belief. It's like <laughs> the person that I marry, I could turn them into a better version of yes. themselves. Yeah. And so, so when I stopped focusing on him, I decided to focus on, I thought, what is the thing that makes me really want to get a divorce? And what I discovered was that it was a, an experience of helplessness when we fought, that I would get confused. I mean, when my husband used to, the way he used to argue, it was just sort of like dumping out an encyclopedia of words. And they would just be like, I would just be buried and none of it made sense. And I'd be saying, wait a minute, I, I thought we were talking about, wait, wait, wait. And it was just like this character assassination with a bunch of stuff and how I did it too. And it was just crazy. And I would, I would feel myself getting sort of stupid after a while. And so I decided I would work on that because if I could deal with the feeling of, of that kind of helplessness, if I couldn't change how he, how he dumped words, I needed to figure out how to not get crazy and confused and so I started to work on how to stay calm. And I, I discovered that I needed to step back. Sometimes I tried stepping physically back a few feet. And then I realized I needed to go out of the room for a minute and collect my thoughts and then come back in. And I did that for a long time. Mm -hmm. I did that for about a year. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then one day he was blathering on about whatever it was. And I didn't have to leave the room because I was calm and I realized, oh, he's just saying everything that comes to his mind because he feels scared. He feels like he's going to lose and he's going to lose big. And so he's just saying, you know, you're this and you don't listen and you, oh yeah. And you think you're so smart and like all this stuff. And I almost, I, I was just, it was like watching snowfall. It was so, I was like, Oh, that's what he's doing. And I, I didn't, I didn't get upset. It, things didn't escalate. And I felt like, oh, I can do this. I can, he's just scared. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't see that. And it was also dumb. I mean, it was this dumb stuff he learned in, you know, fighting with his brothers, you know, when he was a kid and defending himself from his parents. And, you know, I mean, we all learned this stuff, but I, I, I just relaxed. And so then I stopped I stopped hating him for those fights. So that's an example of where you work on yourself. But another thing I, I worked on was that I, I thought he started all the fights. And so as I started to watch, I realized it was probably at least as likely to throw the first salvo. You know, it's like, oh, interesting, because I was very busy focused on him. And when you start to focus on yourself, you'll see, well, maybe I'm not as nice as I think. Or maybe I'm not as supportive. Or maybe I make that face that makes him feel bad and I just do it anyway. Or maybe I don't speak up about something that's important and then I blame him for not reading my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, so the first step is you start to think about what am I doing? But it's not always what am I doing wrong, but it's sometimes for me it was how do I fail to support myself in, in a conflict where I just feel like I have no voice? 
Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking for that woman listening, what would be the first step for her to take just to start being aware of what is said to start the, the conversation, the fights or and how she's feeling during those moments? Well, I think the first, yeah, the first step, if you're going to do it, if you're going to experiment with this, the first step is you have to take this whole thing as like an adventure because you're going to think maybe the thing I need to work on is my moodiness or my, the ways in which I uh, make faces at him or the ways in which I'm not forthcoming. Like spend a little time thinking about, sometimes you can think about well, what does your spouse complain about about you, but it's not always accurate. Because I don't think my husband would have said, the thing you really need to work on is your sense of self when I'm yelling at you. He would never, no. He would have said, you need to work on being so problematic, you know. And so, and so start to think about, because I ask couples when they come in, I say, what one thing do you know that you do that if you changed this, your relationship would improve? Everybody comes up with it. When we fight, I withdraw and it drives her nuts or him nuts. Or um, I escalate really quickly and then I don't listen. Or I'm a big blamer. Uh, or I don't speak up at all and then I blow up. So think about the one thing. We don't, we don't work on 12 things. When people say working on your marriage, it's so abstract. One thing that you're going to work on, that you're going to watch, like, oh, yeah, oh, it's interesting. When I do this, this I actually always end up in this same situation. What's the alternative here? Well, instead of withdrawing, let's see what happens if I stay with the conversation. And then you're like, oh, now I see why. <laughs> now I, I see why I withdrew, because we're going to get into this thing. But then you're at the next step. Okay, so now what do I want to do that's better? Mm -hmm. Make sense? Mm -hmm. And you say that often it's women that that might come for counseling uh, therapy by themselves. Do you think a lot of people are afraid to go inwards and, and work on themselves? And that's why there's a lot of conflicts because it's easier to just blame the other person instead of looking at themselves and really why this triggers them or some things yeah, that their partner does? Yep. You, you, you said it perfectly. The, the thing is that the, in, the invitation, you know, Dr. Phil was somebody who I really didn't like very much, but he had a wonderful line, <laughs> which was when people, he was really something else, but when people would do something, they would say, well, this and I, that, and he'd say, and how's that working for you? And so when, when somebody's like blaming and blaming and the marriage is unhappy, because they don't actually want to take, they don't want to look at their part. They're too scared or they don't know. I have a lot of compassion. A lot of people going back to thinking marriage was supposed to be easier than it is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they didn't think they were going to have to dig deep into who they are and how they are and how they respond and uh, how they react under pressure and mm -hmm. whether they are willing to take risks or whether they are kind of going to stay stuck. You know, so marriage asks a lot of us. And if you want to have a good marriage, you really do have to put 
some elbow into it. You have to get some, you know, some, some, get some, dirty. Get dirty. <laughs> you have to get yeah. in there. Yeah, yeah, you have to get in there. And anybody who I have seen turn their marriage from kind of crummy to good says, well, you know, we, we finally started to work on, we got to work on it. We did it. And the, the it is working on yourself as mm. a spouse, working on how you come forward, how you carry yourself, whether you can be kind, whether you can express yourself in a way that your partner can hear. Like if you're a yeller, I work with a lot of people where they're comfortable. They grew up in a yelling family and nobody took it that badly. And then they marry somebody who grew up in this quiet little house where mouse squeaking would terrify everybody. And you can't just say, look, I'm a yeller. You have to deal with it. You can't either say, oh, I'm so afraid and we can't. So you have to turn you know, into like a church mouse. We have to accept and we have to, you have to grow a little bit to listen. And the other person needs to say, if I keep presenting myself like this, my spouse isn't going to listen to me. So I, I need to do something else. Even if it's not fair, even if I should be able to yell, even if I wish, you know, I wish we could have a big brawl, but she's afraid of that or he's afraid of that. And so we, I have to find some other effective way to get my point across so that I'm heard. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that an advanced skill in happy relationships is to learn how to tolerate disappointments in our yes. partners. Yeah, it is the advanced skill of marriage is to learn how to be disappointed and I think harder to be the person your spouse is disappointed in. Mm. We are going to let each other down. It is inevitable. You know, I mean, one not unusual way is somebody initiates sex and the other person isn't in the mood. And so that's an example where we're going to be disappointed. Now, the person who has said no also has to deal with the feelings of having let their partner down. Mm -hmm. And we have to deal with the feelings of having been let down. And, I, you know, if I'm going to punish you for letting me down, then... I'm not, I'm not taking responsibility. I mean, sometimes it's got to come down to, I wanted this thing and this not going to happen. Um, and sometimes the stakes are very high. Like I want to have another kid and my spouse says two is enough. How do we deal with that? But are we going to punish each other? Are we going to not be able to talk about it? And so learning how to deal with disappointment gracefully. And we don't have to pretend that we're happy. I, like I said to my husband the other day that we, he spilled a giant cup of tea all over the upstairs bedroom rug. And I said, I think we need to get the carpet cleaner. We have to do it. And I was really relieved because we've been really busy. And I said, before it gets cold, we should really do the rug. And he said, sure. But if he had said, I really don't want to, I'm so overworked. I don't care. Let's wait till spring. And then I could either pout Mm -hmm. I'd be angry at him. I could, in a healthier way, try and make a pitch that he would buy, you know, make him an offer. Like, what about if we, how about this? How about if uh, I get so-and-so to come over and do X part so that, you know, like, like don't give up. Mm -hmm. uh, but if, if someone is a solid no on something, you can't, you don't want to punish your spouse, not for, for doing every single thing you want. Mm -hmm. 
some couples, their partner just totally shuts down when it comes to talk about emotions, yeah. about their feelings. About their feelings. When uh, you're in a relationship with someone that just isn't interested of talking about that. Yeah, that's disappointing. Do you just work on yourself and and work on being okay, like being strong enough and just voicing what's important and learning to let go? The, the thing that's challenging about my, my model mm -hmm. uh, is that it can feel like you're sucking it up or like you're giving up or you're losing. Like people can feel like I have to give this up and I have to give that up and I have mm -hmm. to give that up. Uh, and I'd like you to come away with the idea that I'm really talking about being more empowered and more creative. So let's say you have, uh, you're married to someone who doesn't want to talk about feelings. The truth is that we can be happily married without having conversations about feelings. Hmm. Uh, there are a lot of men who don't want to talk about their feelings, but they might actually talk about other things like, You know, I mean, when you say, so how do you feel about that? A lot of guys, will, there's, it's, it's binary. It's either bad or okay. Mm -hmm. I feel fine. It feels <laughs> fine. Why do we have to talk about this? And so, I mean, I work with a lot of heterosexual couples. The guys are not exactly um, pioneers when it comes to like talking about their feelings and going, you know, and so if I'm patient And I say, so what was it like for you? What's it like for you when you found out your wife was texting with somebody else? Uh, and they can talk about what it was like for them because I didn't ask them how they felt. Mm. They can talk about it. like, And then I might say, so were you mad or scared? And pick one. Mm. Uh, or I can say, you can raise the question to your spouse, which I raised to you, which is, If each of us could change one thing to have a better relationship, what do you think that would be for you? And your, your partner might start by saying, I don't know, but most of us are not married to a block of wood. You know, <laughs> we, we pick them for a reason. <laughs> It's like basically a good hearted, well-meaning person in there who might not do mm. enough laundry. But to say, you know, I want to have a better marriage. I'm, I've been thinking about what I do that doesn't work. I'm not going to tell you what I think, but do you think there's anything that you could work on that we would end up happier? They'll come up with something. Every single person who comes to my office comes up with something pretty quickly. They say, yeah, I get mad too fast, or I don't really listen, or I know I do that eye roll thing that you hate. They will come up with something. And then you just say, thanks. It would be great, actually, if you worked on that. I would like that. So they don't have to talk about their feelings. And, and, but if, in case they don't want to work on their marriage at all, my husband said, our marriage is fine. You're a complainer. And, um, and, and 40 years ago, <laughs> that was like, that was probably 30 years ago. Okay. Our marriage is fine. You're a complainer. Um, I think it's fine. You're a perfectionist. And so I got busy working on myself and little by little, He started to change how he responded to me because I wasn't putting my same ingredients into the cake so that we didn't end up with the same mm. cake. And so I started to be more calm and less argumentative and needing, not needing to be right so much or not being so stubborn. 
And so that's why, that's why it, it takes one to tango. You just start over on your own side and your work, I have almost always seen the, the, the partner who's not, has not signed up for the project mm-hmm. start to change when the other person is changing. And it's not immediately and it's not in a straight line, but you start to see that when you're not pulling on your end of the tug of war rope, the tug of war doesn't happen. Mm. And so, yeah, but it's subtle and it's not fast. Which is important to mention because we always like a quick fix. So what can be the timeline for for some on this? For you, how long did it well, take? Well, the, the big one, learning to stay calm when my husband was throwing blizzard balls at me, it took about a year. But other things like noticing that he wasn't the only person uh, starting arguments. And I noticed also that I wasn't really very uh, fond of letting go. Uh, I remember one thing I discovered, and it just got tested today, that he really liked to have, he, he always liked to have the last word. Mm. And so, and his last word could be, he'd be walking out of the room and the last word just might even be, oh, brother, you know, and, but it was always some <laughs> little last word. And I didn't want him to have the last word. And so I caught myself realizing, well, if I don't, want him to have the last word. That must mean that I want to have the last word. But I was focused on him needing to have the last mm. word. So I remember focusing on one day having to literally put my hands over my mouth to not make a comment about his last word. And I, I remember doing this. It's a long time ago, but I still remember the day. And so just this morning, we were doing something and he got a little frustrated and I got a little frustrated and I noticed he had to have the last word and I, I didn't say anything. And I thought, oh, that used to be such a huge issue. Hmm. Like, I don't care. He could be the last person to say, I think you're being ridiculous. And I don't have to say, I don't think I am. And then he would say, yes, I think you are. And then it's like, <laughs> where's that going to get us? It's like, fine. I mean, you could think that I, I'm ridiculous and I don't care. I'm fine. And then that was it. We, nothing happened. I don't even remember mm-hmm. what it was about. Yeah. I, I feel like self-confidence is a big part of being able to do this as well, because when you're able to be strong enough to voice what's important, even knowing that there might be a disagreement with what you're, you're saying. When... You can also know what to let go of that's not yeah. important, yes. like the last word. Like there's none, none of us really need to live and die on that hill of having the last mm-hmm. word. Yeah. You also talk um, about there's, I think it was four stages, four different stages yeah. in a relationship. Can you mention those four? Five. 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 Yeah. I was actually just, that we're, we're in sync here because I was just going to say, you know, one of the things I talk about in my book that could be really helpful is, is that there's a normal pattern of development. So the first stage is that, you know, we sort of call it the honeymoon stage where everything is harmonious and we can't believe we've met someone who's so much like us <laughs> and it's the perfect thing and or even their faults are so cute you know and just oh the way he you know has to do that is so charming okay so then the second stage is when we start to be aware of our differences and the second stage is the place that most of us get stuck and where we fight 
because we're fighting to get agreement. And so I think this, no, I think that, no, I think this, and we, and the second stage, the, the, the differentiation stage, the stage of learning how to deal with your differences effectively is the key. People will either get a divorce or keep longing to go back to that sameness, which you can't go back to because you now see that you're different and it's great to be different. It's just harder. And so how we behave when we encounter our differences is, is the difference between a healthy relationship and a rough one. You know, do I have to have my way? Do I pull a rank? Do I flip out when you bring up something so now you're afraid to talk to me? Do I punish you when you tell me the truth? Do I throw things? Like, how do I, what do I do when you don't agree with me? Mm-hmm. And so when couples can actually deal in a, in a healthy way and express themselves, they move on to the next stage, which is a little bit more of a parallel. I don't need you to be like me, and I don't need you to be gazing into my eyes, and I don't need to be focused so much on the relationship because there's a kind of solidity. I feel safe in the relationship, so I can go off and do something. I can go back to graduate school, or I can write a book, or I can take up a hobby, or I can spend more time with some of my friends. Like, I don't not feel threatened by that. Yeah, and feel like the relationship's in good shape. And then the next two stages have more to do with the way we come back together, uh, that, that once I've kind of gone off and solidified some of my separate self stuff, I kind of want to come back to, to being closer to you. And then the last stage is really a kind of synergy where uh, we, we can move in and out of being connected and separate and connected and separate with, you know, it's, it's more fluid. And it's the work of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. It's not like you get to stage five. Once you get there, you're really not going, you don't go backwards. It builds. It's just like your child, you know, mm-hmm. your child's not going to go back to crawling at yeah. five, unless they to get something under the sofa, <laughs> but they're not going to start yeah. crawling and give up walking. And you say that when people, couples get divorced, usually they're stuck at stage two. Yes. Wow. So that's still in the beginning. That's where they didn't do the work of learning how to have a voice and take a stand and be curious about each other instead of furious about each other. Mm, I love that. They didn't have the ability to really hold their own point of view. I I see couples where the minute a, a difference starts to emerge, they both get so anxious and then one and then they and we go in two directions we either attack or retreat as if we're going to be hunted down on the savannah and killed like the poor wildebeest you know <laughs> and it's really like our survival gets involved and the key is we have to calm down we have to trust in ourselves we have to hold a sense of our own voice We have to not rush to be agreed with. We have to soothe ourselves. We have to validate our our own truth. I remember once saying to someone early, when I was pretty young, saying, I don't understand if somebody doesn't validate my reality, then I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And, And it was an older person. And she said to me, why do you need somebody to validate your reality? Isn't it your reality? And it's like, Go on, validate your own reality. Well, I think it happened this way. Fine, fine, validate your own reality. 
And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, oh, you mean I don't have somebody who has to say to me, yeah, gravity exists or the sky is blue. Now, it doesn't mean that I'm always right. Like I might say, no, I'm sure, I'm sure that I put that thing away. I, I'm pretty sure I put that thing away. And then I'll find it in a weird place. And I'll say, well, I guess I wasn't so sure uh, as, as I thought. You know, it's like oh, well. it my reality at that moment. Yes. You know what? I was speaking with another guest and she's divorced and she had five kids. And she said, one thing I really wanted was to get to become an empty nester and be with my husband. And we didn't make it. But the one thing she said, I wish I had done, and it made me think of your book. She said, we did couples therapy. We did that. It didn't work. But she said, you know what I should have done is gone to therapy by myself and worked on myself and him to go by himself and work on his issues. And I think we would have had a chance. And I thought that was so powerful. Just that difference. Well, you know, sometimes people can work on themselves in the couple's work. And sometimes they have to go off and do individual work. Thing to always remember is the bigger your reaction to something, the more you need to realize that it's fed by some other issue from the past. If I go absolutely bananas, uh, if my husband misunderstands me, for example, this happens a lot, and people say, you're not listening, you don't care about me, you don't, and they launch off into all this stuff, and then I say, who ignored you when you were a kid? And they say, oh, my father, I might as well have been invisible. Okay, bingo. So you come in with a load called, Mm. uh, you know, I I don't matter and I'm invisible. And now you want your spouse to prove you wrong on that every minute. You can't, Mm. they can't do that. Wow. They handle that inside. It's an inside job. Wow. Which doesn't mean that when your spouse picks up their phone to look at the baseball score while you're in the middle of saying, hey, look, the baby... Did this thing. It doesn't mean you can't be mad, but if it goes to banana land where you're mm-hmm. really over the top, it's historical. Mm-hmm. It's hysterical. It's historical. If we stay in the range of, wow, you know, that really hurt my feelings when you picked up your phone. You think you could cut that out? When we keep it down in the normal level, we're staying in our adult in the present. But once you go off the charts, there's a huge piece in there that's about you. Oh my gosh. I have to say that, well, my partner and I, we're not married, but we've been together 13 years and almost three kids now. And I think two years ago, we kept arguing about the same things and not accepting our differences. I'm like, you have to figure some of your stuff out from your past because you're bringing that in the relationship. And eventually he went uh, to therapy by himself. And that was amazing. But afterwards, he said, now it's your turn. You have some stuff that are keeping you stuck and you have to go. And yeah. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm, I I'm have problems I'm like <laughs> The problem is that you're bothered by all I can see the the about me. <laughs> and so he was like, no, like, this is so important. You have to do it like for a relationship if we want to continue together. So I'm like, okay, kind of an ultimatum. So I said, well, I'll go. So yeah, we, we each went and to talk about our issues from our past, which 
I thought I didn't have that many because I had an amazing childhood, but we all yeah. have something. Parents and um, and parents are just people. Yeah. And we're so good now. We're so good. Yeah. See, it's oh, so- it took a long time though, but yeah. Yeah. So if people realize that struggle is normal, difficulty is normal, the best thing we can do is focus on ourselves, understand what we're doing, understand what we're reacting to. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a really important start. In my book, I give a lot, toward the later part of the book, there's a lot of examples of how people figured it out and what they did mm -hmm. and what new moves they replaced the old ones with. But it really is individual and it's an experiment. Uh, but but the thing the thing to remember is that you you have a lot more power than you think, and we are all capable of change. Even your spouse is capable of change, and and if they don't do it your exact way, don't freak out because remember stage two, you're not the same. Mm -hmm. My husband's growth was not did not look like mine. Uh, but it looked like his. Mm -hmm. And it surprised me to see that he was growing. If we go back to that growing part, he was growing while I was growing because, as I said, we're a system. It's like a lake. If there's pollution in one side of the lake and you cut off the pollution, uh, what starts to happen is all, all the way over on the other side of the lake, the lily pads start to grow again and there are more fish. And so what you did was clean up one part of mm. the problem and the system starts to clean up. Mm, that's good. Do you have any additional tip for maybe couples you've worked with that have kids? It's an extra stressor. You don't have enough time. You're exhausted. Talk about differences. You're not going to approach the children from the exact same way. Mm -hmm. And you can't pound each other into, you can't turn a square peg into a round one. So raising children together is an adventure all on its own where we have to be flexible and tolerant and take a stand when we have to and let go when we can. Now we're in COVID and we are, we're stuck in the house more. And we're on, and a lot of people are under a lot of stress. Here in the U.S., we have all this political stress. People are going crazy. Um, and I have been saying my message early on to my couples that I work with: we have to be a little kinder, a little more flexible, a little more loving, because we're all really depleted. And so, if you feel like you can't tackle the larger systemic issues in your relationship right this minute because you're buried in, in stuff, try being a little softer and a little kinder and see where that takes you. It's not hard to do. The Dalai Lama says, be kind whenever possible, and it is always possible. <laughs> so mm. we can be a little nicer and softer and almost 100% across the board uh, people are finding that is a really, really helpful these days under the big stress. Mm -hmm. uh, we're all really stressed. So forgive your partner short temper a little bit, cut each other a little slack, be a little softer, which doesn't mean you can't say something like, you know, I know you're under stress, but you've been snapping at me a lot. I'm wondering if you could pay attention to that mm -hmm. or I'm having a hard time too. 
or one of the things we'll do around here, I'm having a hard time. So please just, please just don't get too reactive if I'm really not in a good mood. Like mm-hmm. give me give me a little space. I'll, I'll be okay. It's not about you. I'm yeah. really exhausted, or I had a bad night, or yeah. Something. What I do, and I've learned that I'm when I'm feeling moody, I send a text to my partner if he's at work, and I just tell him I'm not in a good mood. So just so you know, I've learned I need to do. That. <laughs> so then when he yeah, it's like the weather report. <laughs> it's stormy. <laughs> Yes, I love that. Giving a weather report on your emotion because I know that something can trigger me easily. I don't want him to take it personally. Yeah. So I yeah, and, and, and that's a and, and that's a good example of, of working through stage two, where you can own where you are. The other person, you can express yourself clearly, and the other person doesn't need you to be different in that moment. Which doesn't mean that if I've been really grumpy for a few days, it doesn't mean <laughs> That my husband won't say, you know, like you're gonna have to ease up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> one day works, but <laughs> yeah, you know, or it's like I don't know what you need to do, but you you've been really grouchy, and I'd like you to, to like ease up on that. And I will I will say, yeah, I'm not sleeping well, or yeah, I'm, I I've got too many couples in crisis, and I'm okay. I think I'll meditate more, or yeah. maybe get on the exercise bike or great. something. Yeah. Um, just a quick, a few quick questions before we end. Any additional um, quick tips for having a better relationship with your spouse today? Because I, I know you write articles on the the marriage speaking of marriage um, website, awesome. and you give yeah. tons of great advice. Can you yeah. give us a few quick ones? Okay, let's see. Well, one of them is pay more attention to what you're doing and less attention to what your spouse is doing. Aim to, I mean, on a simple level, be kind, say thank you, uh, say please. These are some of the simple ones. I like, and this is one that I really like, when in doubt, ascribe the highest possible motive to something your spouse has done. Like they left the garage door open rather than thinking uh, they don't care about me or I've, I've asked about that 14 times. You just say, I think they must have been in a rush. Let's see, the thing about don't keep a tally sheet if you are able to carry more of a particular thing. Don't worry about fairness. Take risks. Uh, say, say some of the things that you're afraid to say. Say them gracefully. Those are the those are a handful that come to wow. mind. But the, uh, people can go to my blog, uh, called, which is speakingofmarriage.com, and you can get a free 75 things you can do today to have a better marriage starting today. And so those are some of those on that list. 75 for free. Yes, I'll uh, link that too on the website with this episode so they can go in yeah. and get that. And so, you know, and my book is more of a, of a journey. So it's, they call it, the publisher called it a, an unusual memoir. There was another name for it, but basically an unconventional memoir because it was both a memoir and a self-help book. Yeah, I underlined so many parts. Oh, I'm so so glad that you found it helpful. And I'm really glad that you invited me to do this. Yeah, thank you. So where can listeners find more about you? Do you have, uh, are you present on any social media platforms? Any of those? Um, I think the best place to find me 
is is my blog, mm -hmm. uh, speakingofmarriage.com. Okay. I have a lot of posts that I have that have gone up on the Huffington Post. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and my website is just is is more for my for my clinical practice. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the the licensing laws have to be in California. Okay. They have not expanded for me to be able to. I've I, there are people all over the world after my book got published wanted to work with me and I can't do that. I keep thinking of making some kind of a course. Yeah. People, but I, I haven't done that. But, you know, between my book and my blogs, I think you can get yourself pretty well set up to in, embark on your own one to tango journey. Yeah. With a real sense of, of empowerment rather than feeling like you have to wait. Uh, you can get going and it's a surprise. It's surprising how when we actually change the right things in ourself, everything starts to shift around just like that. I'll ask you one last question. I asked everyone that comes on the podcast. So we all know that being a mother, um, a parent is a roller coaster of emotions and experiences keeping motherhood inspired. What one thing have you found kept you inspired and energized throughout your mom journey? Okay, that's challenging. We haven't touched on that, but <laughs> no, that's okay because my my children are are long grown and uh, have children of their own. Um, I would well, there's two things that I'll say. One is that I wish that I had prioritized playing with them a little more rather than trying to keep everything in the house running smoothly and in order. I would have liked. I could have had more fun. I did actually as they got older. Uh, we had a lot more fun, but when they were little and everything was chaotic, I was not nearly as much fun. So I, I would I would do that differently. But what kept me inspired was that I wanted them I wanted them to grow and have a good sense of themselves. And so I I, wa I didn't want to lay too much of how I thought they should be on them. And so I was always working to not try as best as we can. I mean, we all do it. To, to allow them to be themselves, to have the challenges and difficulties that they had. And I figured their strengths take care of themselves. I don't have to, I didn't, I didn't put all that in there. And so their strengths were their strengths, but to be tender and help them with the things that were hard. One was shy, the other was stubborn, you know, and just to not have them, you know, feel like I think they should be different. To have skills to navigate the world, Thank you for listening to another episode of Citrus Love, Keeping Motherhood Inspired podcast. If you think someone would enjoy to listen to this episode, please share it with them. You can share the link wherever you're listening or go to our website at www.citruslove.com slash episode and the number where you will find the episode as well as all the information about the guests or the specific episode. The best way to get our podcast ranked is by leaving me a review wherever you're listening, two, three, four, five, six stars, whatever you feel reflect podcast. This will not only let me know what needs to be improved as well as what you particularly love. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get the next episode. And thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye guys. <laughs>